0: Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast for Hope City Church. We pray the word of God leaves you encouraged and hopeful today. Open with me to the letter of Jude. Flip to the very back of your Bible. The last book is Revelation. The book right before that is the letter of Jude. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to recap us. We've been through the first several verses. I think we've been through the first 16 verses. So let me just recap those real quick. And then we'll dive into verse 17 and be on this morning. Uh, in verses 1 and 2, Jude gives his introduction. He introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Um, he then addresses his audience. He says, to those who are called, beloved, and kept uh, for Christ Jesus. And so those are three really cool definitions. We looked at those, um, three really cool descriptions, and we looked at those uh, in the early weeks of this study. I think this is week 11 in this one-chapter little book. Um, Those are powerful words, man. If you're a believer, if you're a child of God, he, he says you are called, beloved in God the Father. That means you're a child of God, and you are kept, preserved, guarded, for Jesus Christ. And then he speaks this amazing blessing over them in verse 2. He says, "May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you." And then in verses 3 and 4, he kind of gets to the point. He tells them why he's writing. He says, "I wanted to write to you a letter about our common salvation, but I felt urged, compelled to write to you, urging you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints." Why? verse four, he says, because certain people have crept into the church unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They've perverted the grace of God into sensuality. He's saying they're twisting the truth and they're saying Jesus and they're holding up scriptures and they're, they're teaching things that they, that they claim to be truth, but they're lies. And so they're causing people to abandon the faith and to walk away from the faith. He says, so contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And then he gives seven Old Testament examples of people who did the same thing. People who came back and caused unbelief to spread amongst others. They twisted the truth. They abandoned the truth of God's word. And... Uh, And he uses those as an example and warning for us. The bulk of the letter is is that. It's these examples and description of these people. He talks about Israel and how they entered into unbelief and fallen angels. And he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and false prophets. And then in verse 11, he kind of does this triple whammy of Cain and Balaam and Korah. And he gives all these examples to say, man, these people all in some way or another, rejected God's word, rejected the truth, twisted, corrupted the faith of others, perverted the faith, perverted the grace of God. He says, these people that are infiltrated the church, they're just like this. They're just like Israel. They're just like the fallen angels. They're just like Sodom and Gomorrah. They're just like the false prophets and Cain and Balaam and Korah. And then last week, we saw verses 12 through 16, where he then goes on to give these vivid descriptions of these people. And he, he uses these amazing word pictures. I'll just... seven things. He calls them hidden reefs, selfish shepherds, waterless clouds, fruitless trees, wandering stars, ungodly sinners. I mean, mean, intense description. He's not a fan of these people who've crept into the church and are twisting people's faith. So today, starting in verse 17, we're entering this section of Jude's letter where he actually begins to start closing things out. So 11 weeks in, finally reaching verse 17, and And uh, what Jude does here towards the close of his letters, he, he issues a strong admonition, a strong charge and encouragement to the saints and a call to persevere. So he says, there's false teaching, there's people that have crept in the church, they're deceiving other people, causing other people to fall away, so you contend for the faith. And then he says, but you, like he gives them this charge and, and. This call to persevere, and so that's the section we're entering. Let me read verses 17 through 23, then we'll pray and dive in. Verse 17: But you, after talking about all these people who've in the church, says, "But you, now talking to the saints, talking to the church, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions." Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning, and I pray, God, that you would just breathe life into your word as you always do. We know that you are alert and active, watching over your word to perform it, and so I pray now that we would have ears to hear you. God, and hearts that would receive your word and, uh, and just hear from you how it applies to our hearts and to our lives so that we would be transformed people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're covering a chunk of uh, uh, real estate in this letter today. Okay. We're covering a lot of ground. Um, And basically, Jude's instruction here to the the saints basically has three headings. And we'll try to do them relatively quickly. But three things that I think they kind of, you can boil down this, this section into A, remember the predictions, B, keep the faith. And C, rescue the deceived. This is his charge to the church. He's talking about all these people that have infiltrated the church, what they're like. He's given Old Testament examples. He's described their character. And now he says, but you, three things. Remember the predictions, keep the faith, and rescue the deceived. So let's take a closer look at each of these one by one. A, remember the predictions. If you have your notes, this is where we're at. Section A, remember the predictions. Verse 17 through 19. Let me read them again. Real quick, he says, but you must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these people who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. What is Jude doing? He's like, guys, I know there are people that are coming to the church. I want you to contend for the faith, but I don't want you to freak out. Jude is pointing out that none of this should have caught the church by surprise. He says, remember guys, this was predicted. The early apostles had repeatedly warned that false teachers would slip in among them. And Jude is saying that what is now happening is exactly what was predicted. And so let's look again. He's given a... Deep description of these wicked people. I'm not going to dwell on this. We're going to roll through this fast. But he gives—he just rattles off another description of these ungodly people in the church. So I think it's five things. Let's go through them quick. Number one, he says they're scoffers. Look at how he describes them. He says, number one, they're scoffers. So to scoff means to mock, ridicule, or make fun of. So these are people who have crept into the church. They're teaching false things. But they're also ridiculing and making fun of others who teach the truth. Right? there's scoffers. A few months ago, we studied the Psalms. And in Psalm 1, we read this. Look at Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And we talked about it. There's a progression there. First, you are walking in the counsel of the wicked. That is, you're listening to the advice of people who are unbelievers, and it starts to sound good to you. You're listening to the false gospels that the world preaches. You're listening to the counsel of the wicked. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Then you're standing in the way of sinners. Then you start to live like and act like and let your life slip into that ungodly manner of living. Then... You've become so entrenched in that sin where you've received so much of that, counsel the ungodly and start to live like the ungodly that you actually then join the ungodly in mocking those who seek to live godly lives. So first you start listening to things that you should, okay, no, bad counsel, ungodly counsel. Then you start living that way and your life starts to slip. Then you're so entrenched in that side that when someone starts to follow Jesus and starts to live a godly life, you actually mock that. It can happen. I've seen it happen a million times. Following Jesus, then you start listening to stuff, then you start living differently, then you start mocking those who are actually following Jesus. Yeah. It's becoming so well-adjusted to sin and so desensitized to the, to the godlessness of our present age that, that we actually begin to mock and ridicule the righteous or mock and ridicule the truth. We've received the lie so much that now we start to mock the truth. And Jude says this is happening within the church within the church this is not unbelievers coming and going a- angry atheists showing up and going oh that's so stupid these are people within the church going oh you believe that that's so whatever and they're mocking you oh how, how outdated. Right? right some have infiltrated the church due to saying and are teaching things that are false and actually now mocking those who hold fast to the truth of God's word William Barclay in his commentary said this These heretics believed that they were the progressive thinkers, and they regarded those who observed the old moral standards as old-fashioned and out-of-date. That commentary was written in the 50s. Amazing how relevant that is for today, isn't it? And so they mocked those who hold to the truth of God's word as unintellectual or out-of-touch. Right? Jude's point is this. It is a characteristic of false teachers to come in, teach false things, and then begin to mock or ridicule or make fun of or downplay, denigrate those who preach truth and stand for righteousness. Those who stand on the truth of God's word. Okay? Number two, he says they, they're following their own ungodly passions. They're following their own ungodly passions. Instead of following God and his word... They follow after their own desires. So listen, we've said this a million times, but let me say it again. You can't, we go, oh, I'm, I'm just gonna you know, do what seems right to you. If you're not following Jesus, if you're not submitted to Jesus, do what seems right to you is, the, is horrible advice. Just do what seems right. Oh, what should I do in this situation? Oh, just do what seems right. The Scripture says there's a way that seems right to a man, and the end of that way is destruction. So like if I'm not submitted to Jesus Christ, the way that seems right to me is Destructive. Oh, just follow your heart. That's horrific advice. Don't follow your heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 says, if you're not submitted to the Lord, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Your heart will deceive you. Your greatest enemy is your own heart sometimes. And so do what seems right. Just follow your heart. That's horrific advice if you're talking to a person who's not submitted to God. Now, if you're talking to a person who's submitted to God, following Jesus, being transformed by the word of God, then maybe it's good advice. Okay? Do what seems right to you as you study the scriptures and follow the Holy Spirit. They have a recreated heart. Okay, great. What, what is God speaking to you? What is God saying? Then follow your heart in that area. Okay, maybe it's good advice then. But it's not good advice for everyone. Right. It says they fall Instead of following God in his word, they follow their own ungodly passions. That means they have desires a certain way. This way seems right. This way feels right. And I'm just going to follow that. And Jude's like, they do that to their own destruction. Number three, he says these are people who cause divisions. Look, look at it again. Uh, let's see, verse 19. It is these who cause divisions. So false teaching is always divisive and destructive. That is, people come in, and they start teaching things that are not true, and it divides the church by drawing people away from the truth to follow after the lies. And now we have camps, and now we have factions, and now we have splits within the church. Number four, he describes them as worldly people. Look at verse 19 again. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people. That is, they love this world, the things of the world, the culture. Not just the culture, because I love certain things about the culture. It's not that we can't love people. He's saying, if you love the, the ungodliness of this world... So he's saying these are people who look like and think like and talk like and act just like the rest of the world. They seem no different than unbelievers because they are no different. They seem no different than the rest of the world because they are no different. They are of the world. He says they are worldly. So certain people are coming in. They're calling themselves Christians. I'm telling you this is true. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Didn't I do all these things in your name? I prophesied. I cast out demons. I I did amazing things in your name. And he's like, depart from me. I never knew you. So though you call me Lord, you're not actually following me. You've rejected my truth. You're of the world. You never had a heart transformation. The Holy Spirit of God never came with you. You never repented and put your trust in me and began to follow me. And so he says, these people are like that. Pay attention. When they sneak into the church... And they're teaching things, examine the manner of their life. Nobody's perfect in behavior. None of us is certainly not me. I feel like I feel like Paul And Paul says, I'm the chief sinner among you. I feel like that. So I'm certainly not claiming to be on some high horse, some pedestal, like uh looking down my nose at anybody. I feel like the chief sinner amongst everybody. But so so nobody's perfect, but we should be able to examine, listen, if this... If the Holy Spirit of the living God has come to live inside of you, it will over time produce, that will over time produce transformation. You will start to be different, think different, live different, act differently. It's a lifelong process, okay? Not overnight. And sometimes it's a lot slower progress than we'd like. It certainly is in my life. But it's there. If you see people that you don't see that. You don't see that spiritual growth. You don't see evidence of the Holy Spirit in life. They live and look and talk and act just like the rest of the world. Like if they didn't tell you they were a Christian, you wouldn't even know it. I look at your life and I look at the life of an unbeliever, I can't even tell the difference. It's really hard to believe that the Holy Spirit of God has come to live inside of this person when he looks, talks, thinks, acts just like someone without the Holy Spirit. That's the point. He says they're worldly because they don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. So they cause divisions of worldly people. Number five, he says they are devoid of the Spirit. That's what we're talking about. This is important because the people that Jude is referring to often claim to be the most truly spiritual people. Oh, true spirituality is like this. True spirituality is like that. Jesus is really like this. and Truth is really that. They claim to be the most spiritual And Jude is saying, no, you are devoid of the spirit. Though you claim to be truly spiritual, the most spiritual, the truly spiritual ones, the ones who are truly enlightened by the spirit of God, you are actually devoid of the spirit because you reject the truth of God and you pervert the truth of God. Devoid of the spirit. Now, that's an intense description. I get it. Jude's done weeks of that. I tried to go through that pretty quick. Here's the point. He says, remember the predictions. That's our heading. A, remember the predictions. The fact that these types of people had infiltrated the church and that this had all been predicted in advance is actually very encouraging. Why is that? I mean, even today. These types of people infiltrated the church. They're preaching things. They're, they're, they're not waving a flag going, hey, I'm here to deceive you. They're saying, oh, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm just like you. It's good. Hey, think about this. Think about that. Okay? But the fact that these types of people have infiltrated the church and that this had all been predicted is actually very encouraging because it means that God's word was right again. Yeah. Again, God's word proved to be true means that God is not shocked or thrown by this. He's known this and seen this from the very beginning, and his plans and purposes for his people will not and cannot be thwarted by such futile attempts. God's not freaking out. Oh, there's people in the church teaching false things. What are we going to do? He's not doing it. He says, hey, it's going to happen. He told you beforehand. It's going to happen. So when it happens, don't freak out. Remember the predictions. Remember I predicted this, okay? And that's what Judah's saying to the church. He's saying, yes, these people here are content for the faith, be on guard, right? Handle business. But remember, this was predicted. So don't get into fear. Don't start freaking out or acting like a false prophet can derail the truth of God or thwart God's plans and purposes. God will not be thwarted. Amen. He will not. Certainly not by a heretic. So Jude is trying to encourage them by saying, guys, don't be thrown. This is all predicted. This is just the fulfillment of what God has always said was coming. And it's an encouragement that the end is drawing near. Look at verse 18 again. Remember the predictions. They said to you, in the last times, there will be these people. So, the fact that we see these people and these things happening in the church means we are in the last times. So, when we see that these things are being fulfilled, we can actually take courage knowing that the return of Christ is drawing closer and closer and he will get the last word. So, A, remember the predictions and take courage from that, B, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Look at verses 20 and 21, okay? But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So Jude draws an obvious contrast now between the character and behavior of the wicked and that of the righteous, that of the children of God, okay? He gives at least five specific encouragements here for true children of God, and again, because of time, we're gonna try to plow through them quick. Five specific encouragements for the true children of God. Number one, Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Build yourselves up in the faith, he said. So listen, earlier he says, contend for the faith, now he says, build up your own faith. Build yourself up in the faith. The Christian life is not founded on something that we've manufactured ourselves, but on something that we have received. Right? So I don't make up the Christian faith, I received the Christian faith. I don't make up the truth, I don't decide truth for myself, The truth hasn't been decided by me, it's been delivered to me. And that's why he says, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You don't get to just decide what's true, or determine in your own heart, oh, this is true, that's not, oh, that's your truth, this is my truth. He says, the truth has been delivered to you, contend for it, and now build yourself up in it. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. So Christians are those who build their lives on the foundation of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, not those who invent our own little variation of the faith. You know, the most popular spiritual idea right now is just like I call it blender spirituality. It's like I take my blender and I like a little bit of Christianity and I put that in there and I like a little bit of Eastern stuff and I throw that in there and I like a little bit of Buddhism, throw that in there, I like a little bit of this, I like a little bit of that, throw that in there. I leave out all the parts that challenge me, I leave out all the parts that I don't like, and I just mix all that up in a blender and I say, This is my truth. <clears throat> That's crazy. That's crazy, that's that's a subjective reality that no one actually lives in. We all think, oh that's your truth, that's my truth, it's like this blender idea, it's like, are you kidding me? It's either all true or all false. Right. Yeah. So Christians are those who build their lives, not those who have their blender and pick the parts they like and leave out the parts that don't. They are those who receive the faith All of it, even the parts that challenge them, even the parts that they don't like, and they go, okay, this is truth. And then they build their lives up on the foundation of that truth. So build yourself up in the faith. Study the scriptures. Fill your heart and mind with the truth of God's word. Obey the leading of the spirit. Do those things that build and strengthen your faith. Number two, he says, pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Christians are people of prayer. That is, listen, we're sons and daughters of a living God. And that means we have a relationship with him. We talk to him. We listen to him through his word and prayer. We pray. We pray. Prayer is, let's let's not overcomplicate it. Prayer is conversation with God. So a lot of people freaked out to pray or their own prayer life, certainly freaked out to pray in front of other people. And it's like, but you're not freaked out to talk and have conversations. Maybe some people are, I don't know, right? And that's all it is. It's just talking to God and listening to God. So Jude encourages us to pray in the Holy Spirit, okay? Now there's certainly a connotation here. This is a side teaching. I I almost dived into this, but there's, there's definitely... Some link here between this and, and the gift of speaking in tongues, that's there, that's for another time. There's a, there's a connection there, praying in the spirit. Um, and so keep that in mind. I wish I had time to flesh that all out right here. We will hopefully do that at some point. Uh, that's here, that's, that's, that's part of this, okay? Uh, and that informs everything that we're about to say. Praying in the Holy Spirit While it includes that too, it's it's simply to just allow our prayers to be guided by the Holy Spirit in accordance with the will of God. Now, how can I know the will of God? Well, the Holy Spirit will reveal the will of God to us through the scriptures and through our times of prayer. Now, if you get something in prayer that doesn't jive with the scriptures, chuck it. Okay? But the Holy Spirit will reveal the will of God to us and then we pray according to the will of God is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And the point is this. Don't just recite mindless, mechanical prayers. You know, and, and sometimes we pray for things that are wrong or we ask for things that we don't know. We don't have all the information that God has. I don't know what to pray for as I ought. That's what it says in Romans. I don't know what I think. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit helps me pray. All right? Amen. And so Jude tells us to let the Spirit of God drive our prayers so that we're not praying selfish or unbiblical prayers, so we're not praying mindless, mechanical prayers. Let the Spirit of God teach you how and what to pray for. Pray in the Holy Spirit. This will strengthen and build up your faith. Number three, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That is, be rooted in the love of God. I want you to get that image of a tree that is rooted. Storm comes, that tree doesn't fall. Think of all the storms that have hit some of the largest trees in our land. And and they still stand for some of that. Some of these places where crazy storms have hit, and those trees stand. Why do they stand? Because they have strong roots. They are rooted strongly in something. And and the scripture tells us to be rooted in, grounded in the love of God. The love of God. I, I think the thing that will build and strengthen and nourish and sustain your faith like nothing else is when you have a revelation of the unfailing love of God for you. I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 3 real quick. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Paul the Apostle is praying for the church in Ephesus. He's praying for believers just like you and me. And he says this in verses 14 through 19. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He's praying for whom every family in heaven on earth is named. And here's what he asks for. That according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being Amazing prayer. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, look at this, being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend, have a greater comprehension with all the saints of the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He's like, God loves you so much, it's beyond your understanding. And I just pray that you have a greater revelation of God's love for you. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't know a Christian who doesn't want to be filled with all the fullness of God. And he says, the way to do that is to be rooted and grounded in the love of God for you. So that when the storm of adversity hits you, go, I know, I may not know anything else. But I know that God loves me. So that when some temptation comes... And it's promising something. And I, and I go, I know God is, has forbidden whatever and I can. The temptation saying one thing, but God's saying another. What, what can I be rooted and grounded in? Well, how am I going to make myself? I know that God loves me. And so if God says something to me, it's out of his love for me. And so that I would be rooted in, that my roots would be grounded in the love of God. And so that's Paul's prayer for the church. That's my prayer for you and I this morning that the thing that roots and grounds our life is the love of God, that the thing that would cause us to never be shaken, to never fall under that storm, to never, we feel it, we feel the effects of the storm, of course. Man, when hard seasons come, we feel that, of course. Man, our, our, our leaves maybe our, our our branches may be stripped of leaves, you know? We may have some bark falling off, but that the, the tree would stand because we're rooted in God's love. So he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. You want your faith to be strong? You just stay rooted in God's love. Just let that get in your spirit that you know that you know that you know that God loves you. And then pray what he prays. Lord, help me to understand your love even more. Give me a greater revelation of how much you love me because I know it's beyond what my brain can comprehend. You have no idea how much God loves you. Paul prays that you would just have a, a better understanding of that. Number four, he says, wait for the mercy of our Lord. Wait for the mercy of our Lord. Where would we be without the mercy of God? I mean, I I, I think about that every time I'm teaching on mercy. I think, where would I be without the mercy of God? And we're supposed to see this contrast here. So it's intense, but Jude says, look, for those who have infiltrated the church and are corrupting the faith of others and refuse to repent, and they're drawing the people away to their destruction, for those people, judgment. For the child of God who clings fast to the faith and trusts in God, mercy. We're, we are meant to see that contrast in Jude's letter. He says, these people, and there's intense descriptions, and there's promise of judgment coming. And he says, but you, beloved, wait for the mercy of our Lord. So the the truth is, yeah, we endure a lot of things now, but Jude's saying we only have to endure for a little while. God in his great mercy will one day step in and rescue us. The mercy of God will lead us into eternal life. So he says, wait for the mercy of the Lord. Wait for the mercy of the Lord that leads to eternal life. And that brings us to our fifth point in this section. Keep an eternal perspective. Keep an eternal perspective. You know, some people say, oh, that person's so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Jesus is saying. All they do is think about God and heaven and those things. And so they're no earthly good. They, they can't relate to people here. And I would actually argue that unless we are heavenly minded, we can be no true earthly good. And I argue that based on several scriptures, but Colossians chapter three is one of them, verses two through four. It tells us, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He's like, remember eternity. Eternity. Remember that and set your mind on those things. Set your mind on things that are above. You want to build your faith? Remember, you're going to live forever. Yeah. You want to strengthen your walk with God, your fellowship with Him, your obedience to Him? You want to strengthen your faith? Remember, you're going to live forever. It's a real thing. So I didn't bring the rope because I do this analogy every time. I, I saw it from someone else, but... but let me describe it. Again, imagine I had a rope in my hand and that rope circled around the earth a few billion times and it went out to the rest of the universe and it circled around other planets, and it went on into infinity and actually never ended. Now picture that. Imagine that rope. That front section that's about this long would probably represent our time here and the rest would represent eternity. So what we do is we live for this so hard. We just go, I'm gonna work hard right here and I'm gonna get my toys, I'm gonna do my stuff and I'm gonna hopefully save for retirement so that this part is rocking. And We forget this part. We go, I'm gonna get an RV and I'm gonna go see the Grand Canyon. And I'm gonna do my stuff and that's all good, that's cool. Well, we, th- this is all we think about is that part. And we forget that there's this moment where I take my last breath and I'm face to face with my creator. And He's no joke. He loves you. He created you. He is for you. But I'm telling you, all that stuff that you think mattered is not what's going to matter when you take your last breath here and your first breath in the presence of your Creator. And every moment that you spent saying no to the things of the world and yes to the things of God will all be worth it in that moment and when you're staring down an eternity of rest and joy and pleasure forevermore god says in my presence is fullness of joy and at my right hand are pleasures forevermore and so what we do is we live for the temporary pleasure and we ignore eternal pleasure and and what christians are those who do that's not that we don't have pleasure here of course we do of course we have moments of absolute joy and pleasure. We do the grand king and trips and we enjoy all that stuff. That's great. But the Christian is eternally minded, heavenly minded and saying, "Whatever I go through here, good or bad, it's great. This is just the more. This is just the precursor to an eternity in the presence of God." And that's going to be amazing. And so if God tells me something here, I got it. I can do it. I can handle it. If I have to go through a tough season here, I got it. It's nothing. In fact, Paul would say our light and momentary troubles are not even worth being compared to the glory that shall be revealed. And so he says, you want to build your faith? Keep an eternal perspective. Remember eternity. Remember the predictions. Keep the faith. See final point. Rescue the deceived, verses 22 and 23. He says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. When false teaching infiltrates the church, many people will be drawn away from the faith to their own destruction, and that is devastating. But do you see the hope in this verse, these verses? What I see in these verses is that not everyone who's flirting with false teaching is a lost cause. Some may still be saved. So when we see that a brother or sister has been bitten by false teaching or lies about God and is beginning to struggle with doubt, Jude encourages us to have mercy on them and to do what we can to reach out and draw them back into the family of God. And so our instinct shouldn't be to alienate and condemn and shun people at the first sign of deception. Oh, they're, they're, they're giving way to false teaching, and then we block them out. But to have mercy on them and to fight for their restoration. So yes, we must preach the truth, but we must actually genuinely love people. So when people are wandering off into deception, we don't just quit on them. We have mercy on them, and we, and we preach the truth to them in love, and we snatch them from the fire, he says. Some can still be snatched from the fire of false teaching. There's hope here. But Jude warns us to be careful in this little rescue mission. As we reach out to snatch others from the fire, he tells us to be careful that we don't get burned Ourselves. William Barclay said this, I think it's in your notes. There is danger to the sinner, but there is also danger to the rescuer. Anyone who aims to cure an infectious disease runs the risk of infection. And before we can rescue others, we must be strong in the faith ourselves. Our own feet must be firm on the dry land before we can throw a lifebelt to the person who is likely to be swept away. Those who would win others for Christ must themselves be very sure of him. And those who would fight the disease of sin must themselves have the strong antiseptic of a healthy faith. Have you seen this? Because I've seen it over and over again. Uh, Evangelistic dating. I'm a Christian, but I'm kind of struggling in my faith and I'm kind of dating this guy. Pastor Jason, what do I do? He's not a believer at all. But I think if I like date him and I like kind of just share like Jesus with him, then maybe he'll become a Christian too. And I go, you're not strong enough in your faith right now for all that. What's going to happen is you're going you're to get pulled away. No, 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 no. Like I'm, and then sure enough, how many times? How many times? I mean, how many times have we seen that? More than I can count. More than I can count. And so this warning is wise. Be very careful, he says, as you reach to snatch people out of the fire. If you attempt to go on a rescue mission and draw people back into the family of God, be sure you're firmly in the family of God. Be sure you're strong in the faith. Be sure that you are rooted and grounded in the love of God. So the warning is wise, but guys, the promise remains. Some who are slipping away will still be saved. Will still be saved. And so what do we do? We do what Jude says. We remember the predictions. We build ourselves up in the faith. We pray, we love, we preach the truth, we show mercy, and we are ready and willing to snatch from the fire those whom the enemy is deceiving. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word this morning. I pray, God, that you would just strengthen and encourage us in the truth. Let us be rooted and grounded in your love, Father God, safely, safely on the shore of your truth standing on the rock of the foundation of the word of God so that we would not slip or stumble or fall away ourselves. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.